welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday afternoon. First time in two months. I'm in my home studio. Very happy to be here. It almost seems like it's another road stop for me at this point. Joining me from Seattle is the machine, Kevin Pelton. You know, they say the first game back after a long road trip is like another road game. So I guess that's this pod for you. Yet again. Yes, please take it easy on me. Um, You're getting ready, Kevin, because uh, transaction season is upon us. The uh, finals are over and lots to come. Um, I can always count on executives talking to me about your draft grades or your uh, draft and trade grades, uh, trade grades start coming. Um, how often do you get lobbied on your trade grades or, or maybe not lobbied, but uh, do teams, you know, do, do people reach out to you directly to dispute the trade grades? Not terribly often. I'll usually hear it secondhand through someone who's had a conversation with them like you have. I mean, there are, you know, some executives in the league that I know, you know, have relationships with that will maybe kind of reach out to explain their thinking, which is not specifically lobbying, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, the the more clarity that I have on their thinking, the better they assume the trade grade is going to be. Right. So this is before the trade grade posts or will it, is it after thinking that you're going to go back and change the grade? Before it posts, although sometimes you know we do need to go back when more information comes out, and we're in an unusual position with the Jamichael Green trade that was reported, uh, I think last week, uh, where we still have no idea what the protection is on the first round pick that Denver is sending to Oklahoma City, and that that could swing things to some degree. I thought it was top five. Is it top five? <laughs> well, okay, we're breaking away. With it. Let oh, the aggregators. Oh boy. Oh boy. No, take it back. Aggregators. I didn't mean it. I, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So I take it back. I'm sorry. Uh, I wasn't trying to report that. I just, that's what I had heard in conversation and I didn't know that was true. So don't take it from me. Oh boy. We're getting, we're already off to a dicey start. <laughs> what's going to be a dicey podcast. Uh, um, well, we're going to talk a little bit about the draft, which I am not an expert in, but you have a very unique perspective on because you look at the draft and rank it differently than some of the, uh, the, the mockers, um, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But um, first, I think uh, now that we're, we're through the playoffs and we can really focus on um, the transaction season, which we're going to be doing a lot here on the Hoop Collective in the coming weeks, um, I think we should discuss uh, what's developing with Kyrie Irving. Um, the Athletic had a report today, Shams Charania, uh, about Kyrie um, uh, maybe looking at a market beyond uh, Brooklyn. Now, I'm going to tell you that what the league perceives that to be. I don't know what the source of the report was, but I will tell you what the league's perspective is. The league's perspective is that that was an effort by um, the Kyrie Irving side to create some leverage. Because one of the things that has developed here uh, in the wake of the end of the season is that the Nets have appeared to draw a line in the sand with Kyrie. Um, And it's appropriate that it's in sand, Kevin, because sand can be smoothed over very quickly because the the Nets have drawn lines in the sand before. But to remind you um, what... uh, what Sean Mark said at the, uh, at the end of the season when he had his availability, he said, well, we're looking for guys who want to come in here and be a part of something bigger than themselves, play selfless, play team basketball and be available. That goes not only for Kyrie, but for everybody. So he's pretty much sending a message to Kyrie there. 
And uh, I'll just remind you that several times at the end of the regular season and playoffs, Kyrie indicated that he doesn't intend to go anywhere. I believe his quote after the um, Nets were, um, I believe this is the quote that was right after it. I'll read it uh, verbatim. The quote right after um, they lost to the Celtics in the first round, quote, I don't really plan on going anywhere. This is added motivation, this losing the sweep uh, for our franchise to be at the top of the league for the next few years. I'm just looking forward to this summer and building with our guys here. Um, and then he was asked for clarification about that. And he said, of course, this is the quote that, of course, got a lot of reaction. When I say I'm here with Kev, Kevin Durant, I think that really entails us managing this franchise together alongside Joe and Sean. Joe Sy, the owner, Sean Marks, the GM, just our group of family members that we have in our locker room and our organization. Now, that was right at the end of April, uh, April 25th, I believe that quote was, Kevin. And so it doesn't sound like a guy who's looking to develop his marketplace. Uh, as you can see, I think Kyrie was expecting to re-sign with the Nets, uh, probably a massive salary number. And now I think uh, in, in the wake of what Sean Marks has said, the Nets have indicated that they're not willing to go with the same place he is going. And so therefore um, he has the option to attempt to find other teams to create leverage, to make the nets um, uh, offer him what he wants. And the, the, the thing that's out there is that by June 30th, Kyrie has an option in his contract, his contract. I believe it's about 37 million for next year. He can pick up that option and play out next year. He can pick up that option and extend off of that. What would make the most sense if I'm not mistaken, uh, Pelton is for him to, if everything was copacetic and everybody was nice and happy and we were all going to sign a new contract and everybody was singing Kumbaya and ready for the, uh, the, the press conference would be to opt out of that contract and sign a brand new contract because he can get actually a salary starting. If everything was wonderful, he could get a max salary starting at 42 million next year. Um, and so uh, that seems at this point, not what's being offered to him. Um, so Pelton really what Kyrie has in front of him here. I don't think he's necessarily not going to be a net. I don't necessarily think that the nets don't want him on their team. What I do think based on the conversations I'm having is that the nets do not want to pay him a long, massive contract that's fully guaranteed. And I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I mean, what, why would you in the wake of last season? You could add to that, uh, if everybody was fully on board, if everybody was fully vaccinated would probably be the other ah, contingency yes. in that situation. Not that that specifically affects his availability at this point going forward. But yeah, it's about a $6 million difference in first year salary based on the current cap projection in terms of what he could make if he declined that player option and re-signed for the maximum with the Nets. So that's, you know, you play that out over you know, up to five years on the new contract, that's a pretty significant delta between him opting in and extending and, or him just opting in and the Nets having the flexibility that he's on a kind of a year to year deal is compared to him on that massive five-year deal starting at 42.7 million. So it's understandable that there would be, you know, some negotiating to be done between those two positions and that Kyrie would want to try to enhance his leverage. So, Kyrie's options here are to pick up his option and not extend, which he obviously can do. Doesn't seem like he wants to do that. Or he can opt out. And if he opts out, um, 
he can create leverage or he can just walk. He could just, you know, the, the Nets could re-sign him to any contract. They have full bird rights. Or he could just walk. And so the question is, who can he just walk to? Um, and this is a conversation I've been having with teams for about three, four weeks now. Who are the bona fide Kyrie options? Uh, who are the teams? Because it's got to be a team that Kyrie want to play for. And it's got to be a team that Kyrie wants to play. Uh, it's got to be a team Kyrie wants to play for and a team that, that wants Kyrie. So that's two things that have to be checked. And then once you have potential match there, then you got to figure out the money. Would Kyrie be willing to play for less than the max? Because there's not that many teams with cap space out there at all. And the ones that have it are not really great fits for Kyrie. Let me give you an example. San Antonio Spurs. They have an excess of $40 million in cap space. Am I right, Pelton? Something like that? Sounds right. And so they could sign Kyrie to a max contract. But And I, it was pointed out to me today that Kyrie, this is just an example, that Kyrie, when he asked to be traded from Cleveland, he had San Antonio on his wish list. So the concept of playing in San Antonio isn't foreign to him. But I don't know if it makes sense for a team like the Spurs, who have DeJounte Murray making literally a fraction of what Kyrie makes. I mean, about half of what he makes, right? And, um, and, and in terms of games played, is probably a more productive player. Um, so... Or, you know, you look at Detroit. I mean, you know, Detroit has cap space. They've got Cade Cunningham, you know. Uh, Orlando has cap space. I, I just don't see that as a fit there. Maybe I'm wrong. You think If you think I'm wrong and you see a fit, Pelton, please speak up. So you're now talking about a team either dumping salary to create cap space, um, which would be difficult to do before July 1st. Um, I mean, you wouldn't really know. I mean, you don't only really be able to do that with the Oklahoma city thunder. They'd be able to take, or you have to do it after July 1st when cap space is at a real premium and it would cost you maybe even more. Um, so a team like the New York Knicks, for example, could they clear cap space to sign Kyrie outright? They could, could they, clear off Alec Burks somewhere? I mean, would you would you think, Pelton, if they cleared off like Alex Burks and Nerlens Noel, they, you know, they didn't re-sign Mitchell Robinson. <clears throat> they could, in theory, get close to it. Um, would they? Maybe, I don't know. But it's not simple. It's not as simple as Kyrie opting out and saying, okay, I'm going to just go over there. Would Kyrie be willing to sign for something like the mid-level exception, which is $10 million. I can't see that, Pelton. I mean, I have to acknowledge this is a guy who has not prioritized money always. Maybe he would opt out of $36 million and sign somewhere else for less than $36. Pelton, would you see Kyrie Irving opting out and signing with the Knicks for $10 million? It would be a tremendous surprise to me. I mean, obviously, like you said, he's he's put his principles over money last season with his decision to you know not get vaccinated and play in home games. He did, to his credit, take a little bit less than his maximum possible 
and make up some of the difference in terms of incentives when he and Kevin Durant first signed in Brooklyn so that they could make room they for made their the buddy money DeAndre to Jordan. DeAndre, yeah. They had signed DeAndre Jordan. I, I didn't say it was a good decision, but you know. Well, like, he's not known for making good decisions, quite frankly. He's known for tremendous ball handling and shot making. He is not known for good decision making. I mean, the other guy you didn't mention in New York is Evan Fournier. If you could find someone who could take him, you know, more or less into cap space at that deal he signed with the Knicks last summer as a free agent, that's, you know, a $20 million chunk off their books. If they stripped it all the way down, they'd start, I think, about four or five million under the cap. So you take off a guy like that, you know, you take off one of those players that you mentioned. But they'd earlier. have to, they'd have to incentivize to offload Fournier. In other words, they'd have to attach draft picks. Correct. Right. Yeah. And so I think that the argument that, you know, Kyrie's side, I think really it's the Chris Paul comparison is the most relevant one here where he opted in to the picked up his player option with the Clippers was traded to Houston when he went there. And he had the credible threat that there was a way Houston could have signed him outright in free agency. But it would have been a lot worse for the Rockets. They preferred to make the deal. And the Clippers were able to actually leverage that that situation into they got a really nice return in exchange for Chris Paul. It was a lot of the guys, Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, that helped set up that next run for the Clippers. They eventually right. parlayed into the Paul George Kawhi Leonard era. And, you know, I think the logic that the the Clippers surely used when they were negotiating with Houston is. Well, look, you're going to have to give up these valuable players, give them away to create create the cap space anyway. Why not just do the deal with us, which is what allowed Houston to keep their mid-level exception and use that to sign PJ Tucker. So that's I think the you know, the it's it's almost two sets of negotiations kind of happening simultaneously, which is Kyrie with the Nets and then the Nets talking to a team like New York if they are really serious about signing Kyrie Irving about what what are you willing to offer to facilitate that if he agrees to opt in and then you know either he can extend with that new team eventually after 6 months or he can play this season out re-sign to a major deal next year which is what Chris Paul did in that case he left some money on the table the first year but got the big deal on the back end okay so yes i suppose he could say I suppose the Knicks could say, we're going to clear the space and sign him, or you could trade him to us. So what I'm setting up is that really, if he functionally does want to leave the Nets, which I don't believe he wants to leave, and I don't believe the Nets want him to leave for nothing. I think what, what Kyrie wants is to get the best contract he can out of the Nets. And for the Nets, I think the Nets want to keep him, but where they're protected and where they have some, um, something to hold over him in the future a team option, you know, a short contract with a team option, for example. So the only way I see him creating real leverage, unless he's really willing to walk away from 25 plus million dollars just in year one, um, because he, if he, if he left for the mid-level exception, he could just sign for one year, um, is to either is to find a sign and trade. And that's where all these teams that you're hearing talked about. I, I, I just want to take us down a path to get there. All these teams that you're going to be you know, hearing talked about, such as the Lakers, for example, um, that would have to be with sign and trade. Unless, again, he's willing to walk away for 25 plus million, which normally I would take off the table. But with Kyrie, I can't take it off the table. And to get very technical, so, it has to be the opt-in and trade because the Lakers and Clippers, you know, two of the other teams that have been mentioned, those are teams that are both you know, dealing with the luxury tax 
And, you know, if you receive a player in a sign in trade, you're hard capped a little bit over the luxury tax. And that becomes That's a huge correct. problem for the Lakers and Clippers, given their current salary structures, not a problem for the Knicks, but it's easier at the opt-in and trade like we saw with Chris Paul. Okay. But let me just point out that he has to make the decision before July 1st in theory. Are you saying there might be some conversations going on between teams and players before well, July 1st? I'm just That's... saying that if you're the Nets and you're like, you get the paperwork that Kyrie has opted in, you're like, okay, thanks. We'll, we'll, we'll see a training camp. Yep. Um, they don't, I mean, if they want to play total hardball, they can say, go ahead and opt in. And if you want to discuss a trade after you opt in, we can discuss it, but they didn't have to trade them, you know? And then also, you know, Kyrie's agent is his, um, stepmother, um, she, I believe, was just certified as to be an agent earlier this year, and uh, I'm not aware of her representing other clients. Maybe she's the next D- David Falk. I don't, I don't know her. I've never met her. I, I haven't seen her work. She was a high-ranking executive at BET. I'm sure she's um, uh, highly capable. Um, you have p- passing the agent test isn't easy. Many smart people have failed it, um, but she doesn't have experience. I think that's fair to say. And when Chris Paul did what you talked about, which was engineering a, a, an opt-in and trade, uh, he had CAA uh, and Leon Rose at the time, who was one of the most powerful agents, one of the most experienced agents in the NBA. So what you're talking about is some pretty significant agenting. And um, he doesn't have, at least to my knowledge, unless he's consulting somebody I don't know, he doesn't have a representative who's highly experienced um, in this. So um, uh if it was a trade and you make a very good point that uh, receiving a player in a sign and trade for a team like the Lakers, I think the Lakers and the Clippers and the Knicks are three teams that people are talking about. And I will tell you that um, those are the three teams that came up um, over the course of the last three weeks. I've been having conversations with team are who are the Kyrie teams. If there's a trade, those three teams came up the most. There was another one or two teams that came up where they thought that it could work. Um, I'm a little bit reluctant to say them here, Kevin, because I will say them and then it will be aggregated and it will get a little bit out of hand. But the league executives that I talked to identified one or two other teams that could make it work if they wanted to. Um, so the Clippers, a challenge there is that Ty Lu and Kyrie Irving had a difficult ending in Cleveland when, when Ty asked for or when Kyrie asked for a trade. Uh, it is my understanding that that would not be an issue in a possible reunion, that, uh, that that is not insurmountable. However, the Clippers really like the team that they have bringing back next year. And um, I would not see the Clippers being interested in this unless it was at a price where they couldn't say no. And that brings in the fact, as, as, I'm, as I'm already seeing, people suggest trades. You have to realize that number one, the Nets have Ben Simmons as their point guard. Um, and he's coming off surgery and the assumption is he will be able to play. I, I think we have to assume that, right, Kevin, are you assuming that? Yeah, I think the Nets have to assume that if they're going to, you know, continue paying him what he, what they're paying okay. him. Okay. So it, you know, that means that they have a point guard on their roster already who, who isn't a, a good shooter. So, Number one, you have to keep that in mind. Number two, they have Kevin Durant on their team. Kevin Durant expects to compete for championships. So if you're 
the core of what you think you're trading to the Nets is like future draft picks. I'm not sure that's going to get it done because uh, then you could have Kevin Durant say, what are we doing here? And then, and then you have Kevin Durant asking for a trade. So and I'm saying that mostly for the folks who are like, oh, um, trade Russell Westbrook and two first round picks. Well, it does work in the trade machine. I'll give you that. But Russell Westbrook doesn't help the Nets and the two first round picks might be nice in three years, but they're not, they don't have much value now, at least for a player that could help them. Um, so uh, then there's, so if you look at the, if you look at the Clippers, um, you know, if you're not going to trade Kawhi Leonard or uh, Paul George, I know that in his article, Shams suggested a trade um, of pieces and parts from the Clippers. Kevin, do you see a trade from the Clippers that does not include Paul George or Kawhi Leonard that makes the, Nets significantly better unless you just include having players available as opposed to Kyrie's 29 games. Do you see a trade that makes it make sense there? I mean, I think, you know, look, the Nets, one of their problems was they ultimately didn't have enough quality depth. They had a lot of options that Steve Nash tried to sort through over the course of the season. But, you know, you had leading up to the until the postseason. Kessler Edwards is a rookie who was on a two-way contract until they converted him on like the last day of the season was, you know, occasionally starting and playing big minutes for them. So yeah, if they could get a Marcus Morris senior, a Norman Powell, even Luke Kennard in this deal, I th think those guys would help them in terms of depth. I, I actually think it's probably more from the Clippers standpoint of, you know, how many of those guys, and we do have a lot of role players. They extended Robert Covington, you know, obviously with PG and Kawhi coming back, some of those guys get pushed down the pecking order, but how many of those guys am I willing to give up for Kyrie? Because as you said, I like my team. I actually feel like it's the Clippers end of things where this breaks down more so than Brooklyn's end. I agree. I, I agree. I don't, my sense is that that's not a completely DOA concept, but I don't think that the Clippers are jumping up and down the concept of it. Um, the Lakers, the only trade I could see that I don't see the Westbrook trade working for the Nets. Do you, Kevin? No, I mean, they add a ton of luxury tax, get worse. I mean, like, what I, would your trade grade be Westbrook for Kyrie and the 2027 and 29 pick? What would your provisional hypothetical trade grade be for the uh, Nets in that scenario? I mean, I would probably give the Nets some benefit of the doubt that if they made that trade, they, they, they knew more about the Kyrie Irving situation than I did if they chose to make that trade, but it'd probably still be like a C minus. I think you're being kind. <laughs> um, so I just, I, I don't see a natural fit there amongst those teams. The only trade that I think makes sense that the Nets I think would do with the Lakers would be for Anthony Davis. And I do not see, let me just say that I've investigated that and I do not see that trade happen. So um, what I suspect will happen based on what I know today, and that could change in 24 hours or 72 hours. What I suspect will happen is that Kyrie will stay with the Nets on a short deal that no, that not everybody is happy with, um, but will bring that team back together and potentially motivate Kyrie. Potentially, who knows what happens with Kyrie, will motivate him 
But that doesn't mean that between now and July 1st or 3rd, we don't see a lot of Kyrie Irving rumors. I mean, I think what you've ultimately laid out here is, look, Brooklyn has the majority of the leverage in these negotiations. It's going to be, unless Kyrie is willing to really kind of play chicken with them. And as you said, leave a lot of money on the table, potentially by opting out. There's not well, 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 a great his destination move, for him. His move is to opt out because that sort of, that sort of triggers the options, right? If he opts out, because he can still always go back even for the same money. If he opts out, that opens the door that he could sign somewhere for way less. And in theory, rattles the Nets cage that he that they could actually lose him for nothing. And, you know, it would be a heck of a bluff, but it would be, I mean, it would be one way to do it. Um, so we'll see. Um, trust me, this may have hit the public stream today, but it's been in the NBA world. It's been the NBA stream for weeks now. And a lot of discussions have been had about it. Um, and, you know, you've heard, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me. I don't know if you agree with me on this, Pelton, but I've called Kyrie a 40 percenter. Because 40 percent of the time, he's absolutely breathtaking, amazing. And the other 60%, he's not. He's either hurt, away, or just or not great. And what we're discussing, some of these teams would have to blow up their rosters for a 40 percenter. And I, I mean, I suppose that percentage could increase. But Kyrie Irving's played, I think he got drafted in 2011. So he's been in the NBA for 11 years now. He's averaged 53 games or 55 games, I think. I don't see that trend dramatically changing. Maybe you get to 50%, but I don't see it changing. So, um, you know, if your team like the Knicks, maybe a 40%er, a 40% superstar is what you need. That could be the difference between you sitting at home and making the playoffs. That could be the difference between, you know, Leon Rose being on the hot seat after missing the playoffs next year and, you know, being in the playoffs and maybe even making the second round, you could, it could happen. Maybe that's worth it to them. You know, for the Lakers, you know, that would be a real remarkable thing if they could somehow pull that off. Um, the Lakers have to, you know, I don't, I haven't done the research on what sort of percent I put on Anthony Davis. It's not a hundred, but LeBron, Anthony Davis and Kyrie, a 40% or if you could somehow pull that off, you know, because Kyrie took some sort of discount contract. That would be very powerful. I could see certain teams willing to do some stuff for for a forty percent Kyrie, but I couldn't see that many, and I also couldn't see him picking some of those teams. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, 
Their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. I want to switch to the draft, which uh, folks know is um, not my strongest suit. I, I don't know the prospects. I'm just learning about them. But Kevin, you do a lot of work on the draft. And you, um, a couple of weeks ago, put out your um, annual rankings that, um, well, why don't you explain how you find your consensus and, and, what you're, and how you come to the, to the ranking? Yeah, so it starts with, originally, I had kind of projection that was based strictly on the player statistics, which are from, you know, college, major international leagues. And then also a few years ago, I added the Nike EYU BLAAU tournament to add some more data for some of the top prospects, which is really useful for someone like Shadon Sharp, who didn't play at Kentucky at all, but did play in EYBL last summer. So, you know, we do at least have some data to go by on him against, you know, reasonably high level competition. Uh, so based on that, you know, how they project to the NBA next season based on past players and then their age, there's a projection for how valuable they're going to be more or less over their first five seasons in the league. And then the consensus projection also factors in where they're ranked in Jonathan, Jonathan Gavoni's top 100 rankings for us at ESPN. Since if you look at where a player is drafted, which matches up pretty well with Jonathan's top 100, that tends to be a very valuable predictor of how, how well they're going to play in the league. So, you know, it's much closer to uh, the, the, the board, the draft board, when you include the consensus model, although still it does differ to some degree, as you mentioned earlier, because of the fact that not everyone performs exactly like their, uh, their, their, uh, cons- their uh, rating in the minds of scouts. Right. Okay. So I've overlaid here. <clears throat> I'll give you, you've overlaid in the story that actually came out what uh, Gavoni's ranking is and what your ranking is. And, um, I have Gavoni's latest mock draft, although he's probably got one coming out within the next 24 hours. I don't know when he's doing it, but it's got his latest one. About every 15 minutes at this point, Lydia. <laughs> right. right. I know. Although he's a little bit more, he doesn't update them that often. He tries to make them more impactful when he does update them. So um, you have in your, as your number one prospect in this draft, if the Orlando Magic were to hire you as a consultant, your pick, your number one ranking is. Chet Holmgren is number one. I mean, his his statistical projection is one of the better ones we've ever seen for a guy who is, and he's number one in the top 100, even though he has not been number one in Jonathan's mock drafts, which is you know an interesting feature of this year's draft. It's also kind of funny because, and this is something that Magic fans noticed before I even really had, or, Orlando's picks have matched up pretty well with who you know the best players available in the consensus rankings are at the time that they've drafted. Uh, Cole Anthony a couple of years ago was someone I was very high on based on his, or the projections were very high on based on his EYBL performance. Uh, Franz Wagner last season was an example of this. Jalen Suggs actually a little less so uh, going well, back Jalen to Jonathan Suggs kind Isaac. Of fell to them a little bit. It was kind of a surprise that Suggs made it out of the top four, the, the Raptors valuing Scotty Barnes more and then ended up being a very good pick, <clears throat> clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And Chuma Okiki would be another example of this. So it's funny that you look at that, you look at everybody knows Orlando and that front office going back to, you know, John Hammond's days in Milwaukee. And and I think Jeff Weltman was there as well at one point under him, uh, has always valued length in their draft picks. 
I saw right. Cole Anthony had, had an amusing tweet about that since he doesn't fit that one. So <laughs> like all of that points to Chad Holmgren and yet everyone it was, was did Giannis Jamaya. have length? They kind of, they, they bet on length there. How'd that one work out? For yeah, Weltman it and, seemed, uh, it seemed and, to work out. Okay. And John uh, Hammond. Um, well, he's seven. He's got a seven foot six wingspan. Is that was that enough length for you? <laughs> that's, that's sufficient. But I, I do think one of the things that ends up happening here is well, if you draft a bunch of players like this, you kind of need someone else to complement them. And the one thing that they've maybe not prioritized as much, although you know Wagner showed more ability to do this as a rookie, and Jalen Suggs is certainly a guy's, and Cole Anthony is shot creation. And that's where Jabari Smith's big edge is over Chet Holmgren. What makes Holmgren such an interesting, you know, number one or number two draft pick is usually you're picking guys at that position who project as, you know, big time shot creators. And that's not really his game. He, you know, I think is certainly going to be able to, to finish quite well, stretch the floor a little bit, and he's got good playmaking ability for a front court player. But he's not somebody at this stage of his career that you're just going to put the ball in his hands and ask him to go score. And that is something Jabari Smith Jr. can do. So you have Jabari Smith number two in your rankings. So it's not like uh, if the Magic do take him number one, as Gavoni is currently projecting, that it's an egregious move. Um, And a lot of the reason that, I mean, you know, you talk about length. It's not like Jabari Parker or Jabari Smith doesn't have length. (laughs) He's 6'10 and uh, can shoot. Um, although your stats model had him a little farther down uh, compared to Holmgren. Yeah, I mean, I think the big question mark is that he wasn't a super efficient scorer, particularly on, on twos at the college level. Took a lot of long twos. You know, he's got the ability, uh, making this comparison, understand what the limitations of how I'm making this comparison, but he's got the ability to get a shot off over any defender similar to Kevin Durant. And because of that, I think sometimes he didn't necessarily work to get the best possible shot. So I think that's something that is going to be part of his evolution in the NBA. But also, it is almost impossible to affect his shot. And that's a a really valuable skill to have, certainly, in the NBA. So the Magic have done the best that they can to keep their uh, true intentions under wraps. Um, They've kept their information kind of tight. Uh, They brought in uh, Jabari Smith for a workout, but they also brought in Holmgren, um, Paolo Blanquero, um, Keegan Murray. Uh, those are like the, of the topics. I think they even brought in some more guys. Um, and they've kind of refused to talk about anything. Um, uh, Gavoni says, and, you know, my light research into talking to executives, I want to be clear, Gavoni, this is Gavoni's bread and butter, um, is that the executives do think Jabari Smith will be that pick, but it's possible the Magic are running a smokescreen. Um, would you, but, but you sort of see, and your projections suggest that Smith Holmgren, or I suppose Holmgren Smith, um, are most likely one, two, and that sort of follows what you believe. Yeah. I mean, I think you look at the consensus projections that factor in those are the top two guys in Jonathan's rankings and, and they, they separate themselves. I think they could potentially be in a tier ahead of anyone else. So, um, now I want to talk about the number three spot, which is where things get interesting in your projections. So most mock drafts have, uh, if I'm, I'm not, unless I'm mistaken here, uh, Pelton, you can correct me, have uh, Paolo Bancaro not making it past Houston at number three. He, um, he had, a, had a workout in Houston um, shortly after that workout, and I'm sure the talks were involved for a period of time, but shortly after that workout, the Rockets traded Christian Wood um, 
in, in, you know, in theory, opening up a spot for him uh, in their, in their starting lineup. Um, uh, you know, he's obviously been a guy who's been high on draft boards for a long time, classic, modern, big man, six ten. But when I go to your rankings, uh, I don't see Bancaro at three. I don't see him at four. I don't see him at five, six, seven, eight. I have to go all the way down to number 11 for the power forward out of Duke. So if the Rockets hired you and you're scouting and your uh, analysis pro S, what would your report on uh, Paolo be? Yeah, I mean, I think I have... Uh, a little more concerned about his efficiency even than Jabari Smith Jr.'s. I mean, the difference between them, they both shot a lot of long twos in college. The difference is Jabari shot really well on threes. Paolo didn't shoot particularly well on threes, 34%. I mean, I think that's eventually going to be part of his game at the NBA level, and it's it's part of what makes Houston such an interesting fit because, you know, if you're the Rockets, you're not only evaluating what this player has been, you need to evaluate what he can become in our system. And guess, guess, guess what the rocket system is. Nobody except Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook during his one season gets to shoot any long twos. So we're going right. to turn those all into threes for Paolo Bancaro. And, you know, then do we kind of weaponize his shooting in a, in a greater way and take advantage of the fact that he is, you know, he's a, a really good passer for his size. I, I do think defensively is the other aspect where, you know, Jabari wasn't, necessarily the highest motor player at all times at Auburn, but his, his highlights defensively were really impressive. Paolo Bancaro, I don't think is going to impact the game nearly as much at the defensive end of the court. So he's got to be a terrific offensive player, I think to be a star, which I, you know, again, I think he has a good chance of doing, especially in Houston's system. But uh, that's maybe the thing that one of the, the other thing that separates him from those top two where Holmgren projects as a top tier defender. Yeah. So like you, so Holmgren, in uh, in um, Gavoni's projections, ranked number one, and in your statistical projection, ranked number one. Uh, Jabari uh, Smith ranked number one, or what? Number two in number? What was he in stats? I forget. Number he number was, two in in the top one hundred, and the number seven in the stats only. Yeah. Number seven, so a little bit different. Uh, Bencaro, number three in Gavoni's top one hundred, number thirty five in your stats projection model. Um, that's interesting uh and that's why he's number 11 so uh now number four where i think the draft will be very interesting there's a lot of well i'll tell you something right now guys there is a lot of smoke out there involving the sacramento kings not only with this pick um but with other players on their roster um it feels like to me and i'm not going to go over all the rumors i know you'd love it to me i know i get mocked for hinting at rumors and then not saying them sometimes, but there's a lot of stuff on the Kings out there right now. Um, I'm really not sure what their roster is going to look like by about July 10th. I, I think Domas Sabonis is going to be there, um, but everybody else, and I'm sure Davion Mitchell is going to stay, but everybody else I'm not hundred percent sure on. Um, so, uh, but Gavoni has this, the Kings picking Jaden Ivey, and Ivey did an interview today where he said that he has not spoken to the Kings. He has not communicated with them. That doesn't mean they didn't want to speak to him, and they didn't want to bring him in for a workout. In fact, I think Mitchell last year tried to avoid Sacramento, and they took him anyway. So it doesn't necessarily mean they wouldn't take him, and that's exactly who, um, at least in this latest mock of right now, who um, Gavoni has. And so 
Now I go over to Pelton and I'm looking for Jay Nivey and I see him all the way down at number 12. And so now you see why there's some split decisions on him. Is it just like the stats model that I think the scouts may see different things in Jade and Ivy out of Purdue. Um, Pelton, you've got him at 12 here. Yeah. And it's also interesting because when you consider the teams that, you know, I said Orlando, it kind of surprised me when I, when people observed that trend of them picking players who are high in the consensus projections, Houston, it doesn't because it, it seems very likely that their model values things similar to I do. I do. You look at last year when Elperon Shangun was number one overall in my projections and Houston ended up trading up to get him, you know, at the end of the lottery, just outside the lottery. I forget exactly where it was like that. That made complete sense to me. And Monty McNair of the Kings came from Houston. Their first pick Tyrese Halliburton, once he got there was someone that my projections just absolutely loved so you know it is kind of interesting but i think Jaden ivy if you look at my projections historically is the kind of player they've tended to miss on the most which is these super quick college guards who there's not enough floor spacing for them in the college game to score efficiently you know particularly in ivy's case as a freshman he was dramatically improved as a sophomore after a really breakthrough performance in the uh, the phoebe u19s that that really put him on the radar as a potential lottery pick and, you know, he was playing in a system where Purdue all the game had either Travion Williams or Zach Eady, uh, post-up centers, very different body types, Travion Williams and uh, Zach Eady. <laughs> I would say so. How tall is Zach Eady? <laughs> I think 7'3", 7'2", 7'3", somewhere in that range. Will he play in the NBA? Oh, for sure. He'll, he'll at least have yeah. a role in the NBA. Like, I, I mean, yeah, like yeah. a Boban type role at the worst. Right. Well, he's Canadian. Am I correct in saying that? I think that is right. Yeah. So he was playing against uh, Edie in yeah. the uh, U19s. Or in, against, yeah. So yeah, he, Edie could be a guy who might have an interesting role in, in world basketball. Um, okay. So in so the guy who was number three in your uh, projections, oh, what's that? Seven four for Zach Edie. But, but seven to, four. To finish that point quickly, like yeah. they're constantly built around having a big man in the paint at all times. NBA offenses right. are not built like that. So you put That's a player correct. with Jay, with uh, Jaden Ivey's quickness and uh, you know he showed more shooting ability last year. I, those are the guys that tend to beat my projection. So I wouldn't really be surprised at all if he does turn out to be a star. Although, you know, I think it does, does show some growth still to come from him that needs to come. So yeah, he ranked number 38th in the stats projections, uh, number four. Uh, on Gavoni's board. Okay, so your number three selection uh, here, your number three ranking, I should say, is uh, is Keegan Murray, who um, Iowa, uh, University of Iowa, power forward, um, number five in Gavoni's projections, number four in your stats model, number three in your rankings. Gavoni right now has him going number five to Detroit. There has been a fair amount of chatter that the Kings could pick him at number four, if indeed they keep the pick. There has been some some discussion about whether the Kings could make a deal with either the Pistons or the Pacers at five or six um, to swap out and potentially pick up a player, another asset uh, in doing that. So keep that in mind. Uh, and it's also possible that the Kings could just take Jaden Ivey and you know raffle him off to see if somebody was on draft night is willing to to do a deal. We've seen that in the past. We haven't seen that as much in recent drafts where that's happened, where a team takes a player they have no interest in keeping, but that did used to happen uh, back in the day. So Keegan Murray, uh, you seem to like uh, Pelton um, and probably is not going to get out of the top five in the real draft. 
Yeah, he's somebody I also really liked watching him play in addition to his his statistics. Uh, certainly a late bloomer. Uh, you know, I think there's a story on Yahoo Sports today talking about him having one scholarship offer coming out of high school before he played a prep year along with his, his twin brother who withdrew from the draft and is headed back to college. Uh, but, you know, last year is in his second college season at Iowa, just blossomed into one of the most productive players in the country. Extremely efficient score, has the ability to do it inside and out. Uh, also, you know, really good steal and block rates for his position. So it kind of checks all the boxes from a statistical standpoint, even though he's a bit older for someone who, you know, was a sophomore last year, he's already almost 22. So close to, to senior age, you know, junior, yeah, that's, senior age. that's, that's a key. That's a key. I think that teams look at that very closely. Uh, I think, um, what's the young man's name out of Kansas, uh, Ochai Ajabaji. He's, uh, he's, I think already turned 22. So when you compare him, you know, to a guy like, um, the, uh, the young man out of LSU, uh, him and Terry, Terry, is it Terry Eason? Tari, Tari Tari. Eason. Both of those guys are, you know, in their twenties, whereas you, whereas you have, uh, you know, a player, um, uh, you know, several players who are, you know, like AJ Griffin, who I'm talking about in a second, he's 18. So Adrian Griffin is a guy uh, who, and I'm going I'm to kind of go to go out of order here for the rest of our time, just source some interesting names. Adrian Griffin, son of uh, Adrian Griffin, um, longtime NBA player and assistant coach um, from Duke. You have him, uh, I believe, number five in your, uh, number number four in your rankings. Uh, Gavoni has him ninth in his rankings, and he projects him to be mocked to the Knicks at number 11. Uh but again, 18 years old. Why do you like uh, Griffin? He ranks very high, spe- uh, specifically on your stats model, number three overall in your stats projection. Yeah, so number one, he played really well in the EYBL. So he came into this season with a pretty strong projection before he even you know, stepped on the court at Duke. And then once he did, and after he got healthy, after dealing with a, a knee issue, I believe, early in the season, he just really shot the ball incredibly. I think 45% on threes this season. So you combine youth, reasonable athleticism and that kind of shooting. And that's, that's a pretty good recipe in this model, which, you know, heavily values that youth, as you said. Yeah. And uh, Easton is another guy. Um, uh, he's 21 years old. Uh, Gavoni has him going 17th to the Rockets. You like him. Uh, right. He, he ranks higher in your, he ranks eighth, uh, number five in stats. Um, Ex- extremely size, productive. Right? Yeah. Extremely yeah. productive last season at LSU came off the bench for them as a transfer after playing his first year at Cincinnati. And, you know, I don't think was, was really heavily on scouts radars coming into the season, but he, he number one, monstrous rates of steals and blocks, which is something that always tends to translate pretty well to the NBA. And then just a very productive score on a per minute basis. When you accounted for the fact that he wasn't playing as much. Vivid seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring experience, every pitch assist and game winning shot live and in person. And the best part each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. 
Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So I wanted to ask you about uh, a guy who ranked high on your rankings. Um, and I don't know if, you know, there's been some, you know, centers sort of fit differently. Sometimes in rankings, they don't always, you know, sometimes they they it's more favorable. I know this has been, you know, like the PER ranking is accused of being too favorable to centers over the years. You have Walker Kessler out of Auburn. Um, you have him ranked number six in your uh, your overall ranking here. And large, a lot of that is because in the statistical projection, he ranks number two. Gavoni has him on his top 100 ranked number 26. And on the mock draft, he's got him going 19th to Auburn. I'm sorry, 19th to uh, Minnesota. Um, which when you get down to the 19th pick, there's a, there's a lot of just real projection guesswork. He could, he could slip all the way out of the first round. He could be, you know, be much later. So Walker Kessler is to me, uh, I don't know much about him. You love his block rate. Um, and that's the guy where, you know, where, where did Sen- Sengun get picked last year? Didn't he get picked like 16th, 15th by the Rockets? Um, that was high on your list as a center. Um, yep. and ended up looks pretty good. That's another reason why the Rockets traded uh, Christian Wood. And, um, but what about Walker Kessler? He looks like a sleeper based on what your data shows. So I did adjust the projections a few years ago because of this factor that you've mentioned, which is that is the game has really opened up and all of a sudden centers are, you know, playing with so much space in the paint. It's become a lot easier to put up huge numbers, particularly in the NBA regular season as a center without necessarily, you know, having as much impact because, you know, the the guy opposite you is also putting up these huge numbers. You're not specifically making a difference. So that dropped a lot of centers in these projections. Shangun and now Walker Kessler this year are sort of the exceptions to that rule. In Kessler's case, you mentioned his block rate. Number one in my database among any college players going back to, you know, I think the 2003-2004 draft are the first ones that I have any data for. So the best shot blocker rate, at least in the last 20 years, based on your numbers. Going into the draft from college, yeah. And then also just a huge offensive rebounder. He was playing against, you know, with Jabari Smith Jr. in the nation's best front court at Auburn. And obviously opposing front courts, even in the SEC had a very difficult time dealing with the, both of those guys. I think the question at the NBA level, number one, you know, is we see over and over again, you ask centers to defend out in space against the pick and roll. If you aren't able to play drop coverage as you easily can in college with the lesser shooting, you know, is, Gonna, what does that do to expose his lack of mobility at the that end of his size? And then number two, even as compared to some of those guys, I don't know if Kessler has as clear a role offensively. He's probably not athletic enough to be the traditional rim runner as compared to someone like, you know, Mark Williams of Duke is a very traditional center, but extremely athletic and also 
a a great lob finisher. He's sort of you know I I I think Robert Williams the third is the oh, the person you're. That was exactly to. what I was going to say. I mean, if I was an NBA owner, I would say how can I how can I find in this you know in the teens, how can I find uh, Robert Williams because <laughs> that guy is a revelation. I mean, you guys talked about him throughout the finals, the impact he made in terms of his plus yeah. minus, and and Mark Williams compares very favorably in that regard. But uh, Kessler isn't really an above-the-rim finisher. He tried kind of being a stretch five last year at Auburn. He started his career at North Carolina, played one year there, uh, and, and shot a, a dismal percentage on three-point range. He's not a good free-throw shooter, which is it suggests that uh, maybe maybe stretch five is not actually in, in the cards for him. Who are you um, maybe fascinated by or interested in in this uh... – like who's a player that we haven't talked about that you are you have interest in going into Thursday night? Well, I mean, I think Shadon Sharp is, as we mentioned, is the the most interesting player in the draft. Didn't play college ball at all after reclassifying and getting to Kentucky late. Was ruled eligible for the draft. You know, he's he's apparently been working out all over the place, and I, I feel like he's got the widest range of possible. You know, could he be picked? Could could someone surprise us and take him? You know, after those top four or five guys. I, I wouldn't be shocked by it. Could he drop all the way out of the top 10? I, I wouldn't be shocked by that either. I think he's one of the most fascinating players for sure. So Gavoni currently has him uh, projected to go number eight. He's a shooting guard. He's 19. Number one player in his high school class. Um, um, he, like I said, Gavoni has him uh, number eight to the Pelicans. Um, by the way, in talking to teams in the last couple of days, there's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion. Um, I don't think there's a lot of feel. I, I would have guessed that um, one or two of these picks in the, in the top 10 might've moved. I'm not hearing some maybe more pessimism that any, that, that, that actually happens. Um, and now I'm hearing that there's a whole bunch of teams outside the lottery, especially the teams with two picks, Memphis, um, Charlotte, Denver, I believe all have two picks. Um, Houston is three. To, yeah, uh, those teams, you know, looking to move. Uh, Charlotte, some people think they might trade both picks. They have 13 and 15. Uh, that both picks, they might trade them both out. Um, or, um, you know, may end up with only one player coming out. There's a lot of, um, it sounds like talking to teams at the end of the lottery, it seems like there's a lot of interest in teams moving into the back of the lottery from outside the lottery. And there's a feel that there could be some action there, but, but not as much on the, um, on the top picks of the picks that have been discussed. Um, there does seem to be a lot of focus on whether Sacramento will move back a little bit, maybe not out, but back a little bit. Um, there's some, been some discussion about new Orleans moving back, um, especially if they can land a player who is, can be a rotation player immediately for them. Look, they're looking for uh, immediate help to their rotation. And if they can move back a little bit and squeeze that out in part of the deal, maybe depending on who's available. Uh, and a lot of talk about Washington at number 10, using their pick to get a player. Um, you know, one of the, one of the players who's been that you hearing a lot about is Malcolm Brogdon. Um, attached both to the Wizards at number 10 and the Knicks at number 11. The Knicks need a point guard in this draft. I don't know if I would trade a, a top 10 pick for Brogdon with his contract, Pelton. 
Um, but it's something that's out there that's been discussed. Who knows how prevalent it is? I mean, there's a lot of discussion around Indiana in general that they're, you know, with Brogdon and Miles Turner sort of um, being being bandied about a lot. There's there's some things that are presenting themselves in uh, you know in discussions. It, 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 Atlanta is I've heard Atlanta tied to maybe five or six different possible moves, and maybe none of them that I've heard will happen. But Atlanta is having a lot of conversations about a lot of things. Um, I've heard just about every player on their roster, with the exception of uh, of Trey Young, and um, and you know who you know I, I don't even know how much all of it's true, but I've heard a lot about that. I've heard about their pick moving, moving up, moving back, moving around. Um, I've heard a lot about Minnesota looking for a rim protector. Um, you know, I think it's been out there about um, Miles Turner and uh, and Clint Capella. I don't think I'm saying anything out of school there, but there there are other rim protectors that they are also looking at, from what I've been told. So um, you know, we could see we could see a fair amount of action. Pelton on Thursday. I don't know if we're going to see any star player movement, but we could see some teams do some things that end up being pretty valuable. I think um, there is a fair amount of interest in the top players in this draft, but I don't see any of those picks moving. Um, I think, you know, Sacramento is the the one people are watching, but considering where Sacramento is, I I would take the best player I could get it for. Well, I think the one interesting thing with the Kings that we sort of didn't go into was, you know, if Davion Mitchell is the guy that you're really sold on as part of your future, and you do have De'Aaron Fox at the moment, like you just traded Tyrese Halliburton because the logic was you had too many guards. Drafting Jaden Ivey, who's another undersized guy, guard, kind of similar size and skill set to Davion Mitchell, would be an interesting move after that. So I think you combine that, the fact that, you know, if, if Monty McNair is making the final decision that his his track record has been in, in analytics. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, based on that, they valued Keegan Murray as potentially even a higher, you know, had them higher on their board than Jaden Ivey. So if you can slide back a couple of picks, get Keegan Murray uh, and, and also pick something else up along the way, I think that would make a lot of sense for them. That's another place where Brogdon has potentially been mentioned is, um, is Sacramento not for the fourth pick, but maybe, you know, four and six, something like that happens. I will say that um, uh, Sacramento and, and Indiana did obviously have a lot of discussion last year in the season. They did a huge trade for Halliburton. Um, so there was a lot of um, a lot of discussion already with that front office. Sometimes you see teams who get into the mood with trading with each other, make multiple moves or revisit things that they, what they've done before. Um, well, Pelton, you've given us a lot to chew on. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, I will be uh, watching and learning during the draft. We're going to, McMahon and Bontemps will be with me. We'll be recording a podcast after the draft on Thursday, which you can hear on Friday morning. And uh, I'll pretend like I have any idea what most of these guys are going to be because I do not. I rely on Pelton and Gavoni and our other terrific draft folks. Uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you to our producers. We will talk to you later this week. 